Welcome to the Giants Huddle. Get him in the huddle. Get him in the huddle. Get him in the huddle. A New York Giants podcast. Welcome to the newest episode of the Giants Huddle podcast. I am John Schmoke. You can find the Giants Huddle podcast on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Find the subscribe, add us to your favorites. If you like what you hear and you're an Apple podcast, leave a positive review. This week's guest is former Giants center and Super Bowl champion. Now you'll see him on the NFL Network very often. That's the great Sean O'Hara. What's up, Sean? Hey, John. Uh, top of the afternoon to you, my man. Absolutely. We're reliving our old center exchange days. Always fun. And I thought this would kind of be a good way to take a longer look and larger big picture look at the Giants right now from someone that's close to them, obviously, having the ties here, being in the building often and, and having you know a lot of connections here with the Giants. But at the same time, as an NFL analyst, you kind of see the team from a larger picture um, looking at it from a league-wide standpoint. So uh, the Giants lost nine in a row, Sean. Obviously, things are bad. Uh, it, it ties the franchise record for most consecutive losses from back in the 70s. And where do you think, generally speaking, the Giants are and, and where they're headed now at this point in the season? Yeah, that's a great question, John. And, and you know, from on a macro level, you know, I think when the Giants drafted Daniel Jones sixth overall, I think the initial reaction, you know, uh, across the country was, yep, that's it. Giants are officially in rebuild mode. Um, you know, this year is going to be, you know, all about the future and moving things forward. Um, and, you know, with that being said, you know, Eli still had a chance to start the season. But once they made the move, which we all knew was probably inevitable when you use a sixth overall pick, it just kind of seemed like, all right, this is – you know, this is the year where it's, you know, play, play some young guys and, and start laying the foundation for the Daniel Jones era. Pat Sherman is going to start building this team for the future, and we're going to, you know, they're going to struggle early on, but there's going to be a lot of growth as the season progresses. And so I kind of feel like that was the, the, what I was hearing from people, the mindset. You know, I know that that was certainly the energy in the building was, you know, all right, hey, look, we're going to, you know, we're going to try to win um, you know, with, with some of the, this young talent. And even if we struggle and stumble a little bit, we will have laid a lot of good bricks for the foundation to build off of. And here we are, week 15. You know, I think if you're on the outside looking in at the Giants right now, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that not only offensively are they struggling, but defensively it's not even like, hey, at least they're doing this well. Like it's literally every single week it's something else. Uh, that is resulting in in a, in a tough loss. Um, I think that's really it's tough to swallow if you're a Giants fan right now because this is the third year in a row, John, where November non-factor, December meaningless games, and you know that's not sitting well with Giants Nation. I know it's not sitting well in that building. Um, Giants pride is taking a big hit right now. Um, you know, and, and I think. The tough thing is when you have a young team and you play a lot of young players on defense like they are, when you have some young you know, receivers and you know, you've got a young running back and you've got a rookie quarterback, you, you, there becomes a point where you're like, okay, you know what, you can tell that they have kind of made the turn. And, and young players, look, in this, in this day and age in the NFL, it's not like it was back when I played where you're a rookie for, you know, into your second year. In this day and age, when you're a young player, you're no longer a rookie after week week eight. Once you meet, reach the halfway part of the season, you know week nine and week ten. Now you're treated like a veteran. You've seen enough football. Um, you know you've got to start cleaning up some of the mistakes. So, 
you know, that's kind of my take right now on the Giants is just that, you know, they don't know what it takes to win clearly. They don't know how to win. They, they, they are finding ways to beat themselves, and it's made it tough to really evaluate who they are. I want to touch on the defense first, and we'll kind of reflect it back on the news today. Uh, your thoughts on the Giants taking swift action on Janoris Jenkins? You know, it, it does feel totally different. Two years ago, John, we were having kind of these same conversations as the Giants were in complete, you know, meltdown mode. And, um, you know, that was the year they, they won, lost 13 games, and the locker room was a mess. Eli Apple and Landon Collins are going after each other, and it just felt so dysfunctional. There was so much drama. This doesn't feel like that team. That, it doesn't feel like that locker room. And this is really kind of the first blip on the radar as far as, you know, all right, we're peeling back the curtain here a little bit, and we've got some players that aren't happy, but they're also now lashing out. And it's okay to be frustrated. You know what? I actually want to see more guys frustrated. I want to see more guys angry, more guys upset, more guys not willing to accept what's going on. You don't take it out on the fans. You don't take <laughs> it out on social media. You know, that, that, that blows my mind. So, um, you know, for, for that to have played out, for everybody to see and view, I think I thought that was a bad look. But then to, to have no contrition after the fact and to, to try to argue and reason your way out of it, I thought it really was it made it went from something that could have been could have been you know the fire that could have been put out very quickly to something that just you know it spread and and, and to see Janoris you know I think deep down he is a, I think he's a, he's a good guy I think he's a good person I think he means well I thought it was a it was probably the worst take and the worst look I've seen for for Jack Rabbit yeah um, and Sean what that means now is you got a bunch of young guys in the secondary I mean Jabril Peppers is on IR Jenkins has been waived injured which means this week you're going to be starting Antoine Bethea is a lone veteran you got Julian Love as the second safety a rookie you have Sam Beal one outside cornerback a virtual rookie he didn't play a you know his first year in the league. You had DeAndre Baker, who's coming off his best game, but has struggled as a rookie on the other side outside. Corey Ballantyne's going to be back. He's going to be the slot cornerback. And, you know, you talked about guys not being rookies after eight weeks, but rookie cornerbacks traditionally in the NFL have a real tough go of it. And, look, I think we've seen that be displayed on the field with the Giants this year. What should be the hope for Giant fans with all these young players in their secondary in terms of as they gain more experience to be able to play better and form a group so this year does count for something. The experience that they're getting in these losses makes them better players as they move forward. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you look at these players and, look, it's not going to get easier. I think if you're a corner in the NFL, you've got to have a short memory. Obviously, you know, you hear that a lot in this game. But I think the one thing that's tough is, Whenever you have young players like that, you need a guy like Janoris Jenkins or Antoine Bethea to kind of teach you how to get out of a funk or, hey, here are some things that I see that are happening that you can kind of, you know, help put out the fire. So when you have just a whole room full of young guys and now all of a sudden, you know, you lose Janoris Jenkins and you lose somebody that can maybe teach you how to break down film and how to find tendencies in receivers or, hey, look, I see you're struggling with this certain route or you're struggling with the play action. Here's one little trick that I use, you know, so that I don't get caught peeking in the backfield and get burned on a double move. So, you know, you you lose that aspect of it. Um, I think as a player, the the best learning tool is definitely to play. Um, But I think for, for these corners, you know, it's all about competing. And you know what? Forget about what's happened, you know, the last week or whatever. You had a bad week. 
come back and, and, and bring your A game. And I think as a corner, you're, you're going to give up some big plays sometimes. It happens. Can you be consistent? You know, can you can you make the tackle on the on the the easy plays and and not let that turn into the big play? You know, if if someone gets beat in coverage or you you bite on a double move, that happens. You clearly are a trenches guy, Sean, and we're joined by Sean O'Hara. We all know that. And the Giants have plenty of good interior defensive linemen: Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, two draft picks. They traded for Leonard Williams. Uh, you can give me your take on how they should handle that. But to me, an offseason focus has got to be finding a, another, in addition to Marcus Golden, who's also a free agent consistent pass rushers up front because you know you can make a secondary look a lot better if you get consistent pressure and while the Giants have gotten some sacks they have not gotten consistent pressure so how do you think the Giants handle that front in terms of maximizing pass rush in their offseason yeah I mean I've always felt like there's two ways to affect your quarterback right the edge rush and then you've got to find a way to push the pocket on the inside and and I feel like that's all that they've drafted over the last couple years is the pocket pushers um, obviously, O'Shane Zimenez, um, you know, had a couple sacks uh, in this last game, so he's starting to flash a little bit. Lorenzo Carter, they're hoping that he kind of steps up. Um, you know, the tough thing really is going to be going forward. You know, do they stick with this same scheme? You know, do they, does James Betcher stay on? You know, if there if there's a change in scheme, you know, now are you morphing? I mean, when James Betcher showed up here last year, they had to morph from more of a four-three to a three-four. So you change your personnel. You know, if you end up doing that again, then you know who knows. Maybe now you don't you don't want three defensive big defensive tackles like that. But definitely some edge rushers. John, the the, the game is definitely won and lost in the trenches, but it's really won and lost on third down when you when it comes to the pass rush. And if you don't have two or three guys that can win one on one, then you're at a disadvantage because you look around the league and you look at the best teams, they all have guys that can do that. If you have one guy, people can take him out of the equation. So you've got to have somebody else on the opposite side. You've got to have a Batman and Robin. And you know, that's really look, when when we won Super Bowl forty two, you know, we had Strahan and we had O C and oh by the way, we had a young buck named Justin Tuck, who everybody said, why the heck are you drafting this guy when you have those two on the end? Well, guess what? People found out, because when we went our NASCAR package, it was Justin Tuck on the inside that was causing all the havoc. So they've got to find a way to get some guys. Obviously, you know, passing on Josh Allen is something that people still bring up uh, with drafting Dan Jones six overall. Um, you know, everybody right now talks about Chase Young and finding a way to get that guy. Um, you know, he, he's the type of player that could definitely change um, a franchise, and, and you look around the league, what Miles Garrett has done, Vaughn Miller, um, you know, so, some of these guys like Jadavian Clowney, and, you know, the impact that they can have. I look at this too, real quick, John. The NFC East has some of the best tackles in the entire NFL. You look at Jason Peters and Lane Johnson down in Philly, and they just drafted Andre Dillard in the first round. You, you know, Trent Williams, if he ends up coming back down to Washington, uh, you go down to Dallas, they've got Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins. So, You've got some of the. You've got basically a Pro Bowl roster of tackles in your division. You've got to find a way to beat those guys. Leonard Williams. He doesn't have the sacks, but you look at some of the advanced numbers, Sean, like quarterback hits and pressures. He's right up there. And a lot of times, these interior defensive linemen don't get sacks, but they do affect the play. Your take on the impact Leonard Williams has on a defense when he's playing his best football? Yeah, and, and you know he definitely definitely showed up in, in the game against Philly. Um, you know, had a couple of uh, of plays there. You know, he had the penalty too, which is frustrating. But um, you know, the, he's one of those guys where you watch him on a film and you say, man, he's definitely having an impact. Um, you know, I think the challenge for for a guy like that is how do you put a value on that? You have to have the sacks, 
you've got to have some sort of, of statistic to back it up and to make it worth your while. And, you know, and you've got to be on the field. You know, you've got to be an every down defensive lineman. And I think, it, you know, on third down, you've got to be a factor. And so that's where I think he's got to step up um, that play. And, you know, I, I think he's got maybe one sack on the whole season. Um, you know, it, it, it's tough to, to see uh, that and, and to look at a guy and say, all right, here's a guy that's going into, you know, he's on a contract year. Um, you know, how are we going to handle this? Let's go to the offensive side of the ball, Sean. Eli Manning is going to get the start for the second straight week this week against the Dolphins. Uh, you're taking how he played last week against Philly and just the emotions you're going to have. I know you and Eli are, are, are real tight. He's been the quarterback every year. I've been around the Giants. He's, he's a great guy. I'm excited for it uh, to get to play at home against the Dolphins or try to potentially, we'll see what happens with his career, but maybe end his Giants career or NFL career with a W. Yeah, it's been a tough three years, really, you know, for, for all of of Eli's fans, I think his friends, his former teammates, you know, certainly even his current teammates, just to kind of see, you know, a guy that, that has, you know, the ability that he has and, and, and to see it kind of dwindle like it has. But, you know, certainly Monday night was, I mean, look, it was electric. I mean, forget about the Philadelphia Eagles. I think everybody in the country was rooting for Eli, and everybody wants that, that feel-good story. And, you know, they wanted to see Eli get a win like that in front of everybody. And for 30 minutes, it looked like it was on its way. And then in the second half, things just fell apart. I mean, they had two first downs the entire second half. Um, you know, I think they had, you know, 40 yards of offense. Yeah, 30, 30. Yeah, not good. 30 yards of offense. Like, I don't know how that happens. So, <laughs> you know, for Eli, I think, what, you know, what we saw in that first half was we saw him slinging it. I mean, I, and I, I talked to him before the game, and I said, hey, man, just think, you, your arms never felt this good in your entire career in week 14. Like, you've never been this fresh. And he's like, ah, I feel great, you know. He's like, you're right. He's like, thank goodness I've been doing some extra cardio on the side, you know, so I'm not out of shape or anything. But, you know, I think he brought a little spark to the offense. And and what he showed, John, was if you want to blitz Eli, well, he could see it. And Jim Schwartz tried him a couple times, and that's where some of the big plays came from. And then in the second half, Jim Schwartz said, all right, you know what, I'm going to do what everybody else has been doing all year long with this offense. I'm going to play zone defense. Yeah. Everybody in front of us, and we don't think you can go 12, 12 plays, 90 yards, and beat us. And they were right. And that's really kind of what you know you see from this offense. Um, I can't believe that Saquon Barkley, you know, had you know two catches for for two yards. You know, I, I don't understand how they can't find a way to to get some some impact plays out of him in the passing game. You know, for the second year in a row, John, the Giants had a large halftime lead, and they watched it just just disappear before their eyes. So, you know, that's something that they're going to have to correct. I think for Eli to get a second start at home, if that it does indeed happen, I think this will be special. Monday night was special for him as a player. When your helmet is taken from you, whether it's via injury, cap casualty, economic reasons, or you know the, the way that this happened with Daniel Jones, you don't know if you'll ever play another snap again, and you certainly don't know if you're going to get a chance to start on a national scale like that. So that was really special, I think, to have a chance to play the game that you love again. I think that means something to Eli, and it's going to be fun for him. But most importantly, Eli doesn't care about stats. He doesn't care about any of that other stuff. He just wants to win, and I think that's kind of what – Everybody around him feels like, look, he's not in it for himself. It's about getting a win. There's nothing better than coming in that locker room with a W. Um, and I think the Miami Dolphins, it's a good opportunity for them to do just that. And, Sean, even though we're going to see Eli this week, the big story this year has been Daniel Jones, and you mentioned it 
earlier in the interview how his development is just so important to the future of the franchise. How do you analyze Jones' rookie season? And for the stuff that's gone wrong, is that stuff that's fixable? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. And and, and to your point, I, I'm with you. I think rookies, you know, look, they're, they're, there's definitely a big learning curve with them just because everything seems to be coming at them at warp speed. I feel like the mental aspect of the game, I, I don't ever feel like there's been a moment where Daniel Jones is panicking or, you know, when he looks mentally like he's overwhelmed. So I think that's a great sign, and and that really shows, you know, his his abilities and really shows you his that there is no ceiling with him. Like there isn't anything you can't ask him to to learn going into next year. The turnovers are definitely a concern, and I feel like we've been saying that about guys like Jameis Winston. And it's like, all right, well, if he can fix the turnovers, he'll be great. Well, guess what? You know, he and Daniel Jones are still fighting for you know the the league lead with with turnovers, and you know Daniel Jones hasn't even played the whole season. So those are definitely a concern. You know, I think with Daniel. As much as the turnovers would hurt, he would come right back after a turnover and make some unbelievable throws. So there's definitely a yin-yang there. I think Daniel is going to be a very good quarterback, and I think he's going to have a long career in this league. But he won't if he doesn't learn how to take care of himself. I have seen him take way too many big hits, big shots, hits that he doesn't need to take. You know, you watch Lamar Jackson, and everybody talked about, hey, you can't run as much as you can. You're taking all these hits. Daniel Jones has taken more hits in one game than Lamar <laughs> Jackson has all season. So I, I think he's got to find a way to fix that because, you know, I mean, look at what's happened. You know, I mean, here he is in his rookie year. He's missing a game. You look at a guy uh, wearing number 10 over there, and he hasn't missed a game in his entire career in 16 years. So you've got to find a way to stay on the field. You know, it's not ability. It's, it's availability. Uh, but I'm very encouraged with Daniel Jones. I think his accuracy has been unbelievable. Yeah, me too. And there, there's been times where it's, man, like, he doesn't miss a lot of throws. Um, I think he does a great job, even under duress sometimes, when the pocket's not clean. He's, he's, not, he's not scared to hang in there and, and make some tough throws. Uh, so that's been big. I mean, when he has missed, they've been high, but I think you can kind of fix some of that. Um, you know, I, I think for him, and obviously with Darius Slayton, the, the connection that they have going on, I, I think that's great. And I think he's going to continue to grow in his second year. The one thing that I, that I see that I'd like to see him make more progress on is I don't feel like he sees the blitz as well as he should. And I feel like there's times where, you know, pre-snap, you've got you've got to feel that guy coming, you've got to see that guy coming, and, and now throw the hot. So yeah. um, that's something that will help everybody out. And that goes to the offensive line too, Sean. And I think we all agreed from a talent perspective, this is probably the most talented offensive line the Giants have had in, in heck, maybe even like half a decade. Uh, but... They have a lot, a lot of pressure, and again, we've talked about, you know, you talk about Jones not reading the blitzes sometimes. He holds the ball longer uh, than Eli did, and I think that's, you know, some of the impact of the sacks and the pressures. But in the run game, a lot of times there just isn't a whole lot of room, and then there has been, you know, times where they don't handle those delayed blitzes and movement on the defensive lines well. Uh, there were periods in the middle of the season where that gave the Giants' offensive line a lot of issues. Uh, your just take on the offensive line and, and what they have to do to solidify it moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say that I, I'm I'm disappointed with their play, and and I, it's kind of remarkable that I'm even saying that because when you look at how abysmal the offensive line play has been over the last three or four years for the Giants, you know this is still an upgrade. But given what you were talking about, I mean, look when the, when the Giants traded for Kevin Zeidler, 
You know, he came to the Giants with an unbelievable resume. He's been one of the best pass-blocking guards in the league, and even he struggled uh, at times. Um, you know, I think I think Jalapio has struggled. Um, you know, I think that you know even Will Hernandez mentally has struggled. He's been beaten a few times, just like he was as a rookie. I think he's really struggled with change of direction. He kind of reminds me of Mike Ayupati, who who came out, um, I believe, from Idaho, and he's just a smash mouth guy and. You know, when he was with the 49ers and they were running the ball 53% of the time, he was a pro bowler. And then when he went to Arizona and they started throwing the ball, he became a liability. And, you know, I look at this offensive line and I say, these guys are physical. This is probably the biggest offensive line the Giants have had in years. And I just don't feel like they're being their, their strengths are, are being played out. And I, I don't think that they're catering so? to what they do well. These guys are, these guys are good run blockers. Let them run block. Will Hernandez, when you drafted him out of UTEP, it's because defenders look like bugs on a damn windshield of a bus. <laughs> and, and, and that's what that guy does. He is an inline road grader. He is not, uh, we're going to pull the guy around and you know, lead him out on a perimeter sweep or you know, we're going to be in shotgun and we're going to run draws. And you know, I, I don't like the run game for this group of offensive linemen. I think if you go eye formation, if you put Saquon Barkley eight yards from the ball, and even if you want to run zone, like the Rams do with Gurley, they moved him back. Give Saquon Barkley time to press the hole. Let these guys lean on people. The only way you can lean on people with combo blocks is if you have a running back that is going to press the hole and give you time to move these guys horizontally as you're gaining vertical leverage. You can't do that out of shotgun. You don't have time. The running back's four yards from the line of scrimmage. It just doesn't work that way. So. Um, I've got my own little beefs with some of that stuff, and I think those are things that they need to find a way to fix. Nate Solder has has been, I think a lot of people are saying that he's been a disappointment to me because on third and nine, if you can win 50% of your battles, you're, you're a darn good left tackle in the league. These pass rushers are phenomenal. But the thing that just keeps showing up with this group, John, it's so frustrating, is the self-inflicted wounds. I tell you, every single week, one guy whiffs on a guy. You know, the Green Bay Packers – game third and one john jalapio and john and and will hernandez are yep. not on the same page blake mm-hmm. martinez runs through the backside a gap and they leave the nose guard unblocked and it's that can't happen in week 14 week 13 stuff like that shouldn't be happening nate solder tripping over the tight end and giving up a sack against the eagles that's that should not be happening to a veteran group so um for for, for a group that's played as much football as these guys have um mike Remmers included they're continuing to beat themselves with mental mistakes, and it really makes it tough to evaluate them, and it makes it tough to really praise them when they do well. How much of Saquon is the ankle, and how much is other stuff where he's simply not had as productive a second year? I think the the ankle injury is definitely tough, especially for a guy like Saquon who is so quick with the change of direction. You know, he both legs. You know, I mean, he's so quick uh, to, to jump cut. Um, so I, I have a feeling that that definitely was a factor early on. And when you have a high ankle sprain, I'll tell you, I've had two of them, John. They bothered me even in March and April as we came back for the off-season program. Wow. I running and feeling like, wow, this thing's still kind of, there's some lingering effects. So that's definitely a factor. But you can't blame your ankle on pass blocking. And when Jamal Adams runs through you twice in a game, yeah. when, when time and time again you're struggling to block guys, and that to me is just, the injury was definitely a factor, so I understand that. But I don't see him finishing runs 
the way that he did last year. I see him running out of bounds a lot more. I see him shying away from contact. And I don't see that explosive guy that was breaking through arm tackles um, that I saw last year. I know I've seen people talk about the Giants need to add more weapons outside. You know, they lost Beckham. Honestly, Sean, I look at this. you got Slayton, who you mentioned earlier, a, a good young wide receiver. Golden Tate's having a good year. Sterling Shepard dealt with the concussions, but when he plays, he's a good, solid guy that can, you know, make big third-down catches. Evan Ingram, his health has been an issue, no question about it, but when he's in there, he, he can play. And obviously, Barkley's a multifaceted guy. Uh, you know, with all the other needs on this team, to me at least, I think they're pretty okay in terms of the weapons that the quarterbacks have at his disposable. You know, it's been tough to evaluate, John. I don't know. Have they all played on the uh, on the, on the field together? I feel Golden Tate missed the first four games, and then Shepard was out with the no, concussion. No, they haven't. They haven't yet. Um, it, it, almost, it almost happened last week, but then Ingram didn't play. Yeah, Ingram's been out. Ellison's been out. You know, it feels like, you know, every month they're trying to win games without a certain guy, and, and you know, that's tough to do. I, I do feel like they have a lot of talent. I think Sterling Shepard is, is a heck of a player. Um, I think he is a nightmare when you put him in on the slot and, and you've got him against somebody's third corner. I think that's that's a matchup in the Giants' favor all day long. Evan Ingram, when he's healthy, I don't think there's a safety that can cover him. And I think that's just, the, the, you know, those are two guys, um, you know, they're part of the equation. And, and when you put Slayton on the outside, I agree with you. You've got, you've got a chance to make some big-time plays. Um, but I also think that a lot of those players and those those plays that those guys can make they would be made so easier if Saquon was was dominant. It, with him running the football, and now the play-action passing game with Darius Slayton and with Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard, you should be able to dial up big chunk plays. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is doing it in Tennessee right now, feeding off of Derrick Henry in that play-action game. He's got a rookie receiver in A.J. Brown that's lighting people up. You look at what Lamar Jackson just did on Thursday Night Football. What receivers does Lamar Jackson have? He's got a rookie receiver in Marquise Brown who's been battling injuries the entire season. Um, you know, he's coming off a Liz Frank injury from college. He didn't even run at the combine because yeah. he was banged up, and he's been hurt all year long. You've got Willie Sneed, who is a New Orleans Saints cast-off, and he's on his third or fourth team. You know, he, he doesn't have all these guys on the outside, but yet they're finding a way to, to get Mark Andrews open and, and use these tight ends uh, in, in mismatches in the personnel. So, you know, it's not always about who you have, but it's how do you find ways to, to move them around and create good matchups. Final question, Sean, and this is, again, a bigger picture question. Priorities for the Giants this offseason. We've talked a lot about it in passing throughout the conversation, but for this team to, to, to get out of the rut they've been in the last few years and to start winning more football games, what needs the priority? Uh, what needs to be the priority? What needs to change? Who should they attack in free agency? Not maybe not a name, but you know positions, the draft, you know team building philosophy. You can take all that, put it in a big pot, stew it around, and and wh- what would Sean O'Hara do when he builds his recipe for the Giants this offseason for how they fix this thing? Yeah, I think this is all part of Dave Gettleman's plan. You know, he invested a lot in in the in the the corners, uh, invested a lot of the draft capital in these guys, and, and I think a lot of that is just kind of where the league is trending. You know, you need three starting corners, uh, so I, I think they're counting on those guys. Obviously, I'll throw Sam Beal into that category. So mm-hmm. they've got a lot of really young, talented players and a lot of speed at that position. But um, I, I'm going to say defensively, linebacker it has to be a focus. And, you know, I don't, we haven't had a Pro Bowl linebacker play for the near Giants since Antonio Pierce. Uh, that's, that's, that's way too long of a time. Um, and I think that they need to find a way to bring in somebody. They need to continue to draft some guys. 
Uh, we talked about edge rushers earlier on, and I, and I think that you can never have too many of those guys. So um, I would expect you know them to go after some guys like that. I think offensively, you need some more competition uh, at the offensive line position. You know, you need to you need to start building that sixth and seventh man on the roster. Uh, so that if you have somebody go down, that, that you're not skipping a beat, and, and you can kind of start pushing some of these guys. But um, you know, I, I think the other thing too is, you know, that you need you need another receiver. You know, I, I think that as much as we've said, um, you know, look, they, they're pretty well set. Like I look at the Philadelphia Eagles, they were loaded at wide receiver, and then Deshaun Jackson goes down, yeah. Alshon Jeffrey's out, Nelson Aguilar's down, and you know now they're struggling to to get guys outfitted. So. Um, you know, you, you need you need to invest more capital on those guys, and um, you know, I think at the wide receiver position, you've got to have you got to have the ability to to go three and four wide. You know, even halfway through the season when you're down a couple guys. How important is it to invest in young offensive tackles to groom? You know, you saw the Eagles do it with you know. How often does a team draft a guy? I think what 17th overall, Andre Dillard. It doesn't play. I mean, Andre Dillard. The only reason he played this year is because Jason Peters got you know got hurt over the course of the year. Is that something the Giants should look to do to to start developing younger tackles behind two veterans and in, in Solder and Remmers? Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think they need to invest in, in in a tackle, and they drafted um, you know Big George from Kentucky. I think he was a seventh rounder last year, and um, you know he's he's kind of one of those guys that you, you hope turns out to be uh, a really good player for you when you use a late draft pick on it. But you've got to invest earlier on, like you're saying. And I think you know you need a swing tackle certainly, but um, you know, when you look at, at Nate Solder and Mike Remmers, you've got some veteran guys. You definitely need some youth um, in there. And, you know, you mentioned the Eagles. They they traded back into the first round to get Dillard. They didn't even have a first-round pick. And they saw him sitting there and saying, we got a chance to move up and get this guy. They moved up right before the Houston Texans, I believe, um, and, and, and plucked him. And that's just, I mean, that's really progressive thinking right there. It's great because they knew that they had an older guy in Jason Peters. And when you get – a really good athletic tackle like that, you can play him anywhere. I mean, they, they had him playing at guard uh, for Brandon Brooks when he was, you know, still coming back from his Achilles injury. So I think you definitely need to find some guys with the, with that ability. Um, this game is all about protecting your quarterback, and you can never have enough of those guys. Sean, we really appreciate the time. We look forward to seeing you in here during the offseason. We have some more time, and we can start talking for agency in the draft, pal. All right, thanks, John. Appreciate it. That's Sean O'Hara, this week's guest on the Giants Huddle Podcast. And I want to remind you folks, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast not only on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app, but also on all your favorite podcast platforms. Find us, subscribe, add us to your feed. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a positive review. And of course, you can find all of our Giants podcast, Big Blue Kickoff, our daily show, Giants Huddle, of course, Giants Rewind, a game review with Carl Banks, and well, more stuff from Carl in the offseason, too, as we move forward on not just game review stuff, and of course, the Giants Interview Podcast with all our sound from the locker room, and our radio post-game show, which we post up after every game that has live interviews in the locker room as well. Go to Giants.com slash podcasts for all of those Giants podcasts to learn where to find them and how to subscribe. For Sean O'Hara, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time, everybody. Adios.